interesting uh, art form or science. Huh? It takes it takes just the right amount of determination and courage. It's not too much, it's, but sometimes it does take a lot. But yeah, there's something that has to be applied. Huh? Otherwise, we'll easily drift or become habitual. So there has to be an intention that is there. I actually want to be there. So this intention is. Um, has to have some wisdom behind it, has to be clear why am I doing this? Otherwise, why would I, you know? When I can easily go towards uh, solving the problems of the world or the my week or, you know, planning fun things or, you know, creating drama, <laughs> all kinds of <laughs> entertainment. Um, and so why we do this? Because it seems like in the quality of the connection with reality, we're going to learn to listen more deeply to what's happening. We're going to gain access to uh, an, another voice, an, an intuition about what's happening. And also we're going to see more clearly what, uh, what is happening. Uh, a few weeks ago I was, uh, I was teaching a two-week retreat in... Um, in the Alps, in uh, in uh, in France, the French uh, side of the Alps, with uh, two teachers, Patricia and uh, Charles Genoux, they're teachers from uh, Geneva. And um, so one evening, there was um, 75 people in silence for two weeks, practicing like we do from morning to night. Very uh, lovely. And one evening. Uh, each one of us would give a, a, a teaching or present some ideas about the, the practice. And so one night it was uh, Charles who was uh, sharing uh, ideas about the practice. And uh, so he was, let's say, he was sitting here and I was sitting there. And I wanted to listen to him because I really enjoy what he has to, he has a different take, like ev another, you know, voice of the Dharma, another expression. So I wanted to hear him, but I was... Uh, I was kind of busy in my mind because there had been something that had happened in the afternoon and I was kind of somehow maybe something he said in the talk or like I was sitting, everything was fine, I was listening and suddenly, you know how it is, suddenly I was like, oh my God, but this person said that. Why did they say that? What did they mean exactly? Why would somebody say that? And oh my God, I can't believe this. I didn't speak or I spoke. I can't remember what was the event, but like I, I was rerunning. So I was caught a little bit in the, in the past. And I kept, you know, and I, and I wanted to hear Charles. And, and so, you know, sometimes I could like go through my thoughts and like, Charles, I want to hear what you have to say. All this uh, sitting really quietly like this, probably with a half smile, you know, and like, I can't believe, like, what am I going to do? And then going to the future, like, I'm going to see this person again, like, are we going to be in this situation again? What am I going to say? What, what if they do that? They probably will do this. I, I, I don't know if they'll do this or they'll do that. And what will I do if they do that, you know? And then, so I was past, future, past, future, and sometimes I was just trying to peek out, like, what is he saying? He must be saying, saying something. <laughs> and at some point, I think in that, I'm actually not sure what he was talking about, because <laughs> I, I didn't have such a great access to, <laughs> to uh, my uh, freedom, my will. I was, uh, I was captured, I was kidnapped, uh, some. But at some point... He said, he just said this, he said, um, he said, imagine, so I think he was talking about time and the conception of time, and he said, imagine 
if there was no, if there actually was no past or no future, if that did not exist at all, if there was, imagine if there was just the present, what would that mean about your state now or your thoughts? And I was, <laughs> you know, I, I was exactly, it was so interesting that he said that at that point, you know, because I was, I was, I was struggling between one and the other. And when he said that, suddenly, you know, I became, uh, it's like la pleine conscience, mindfulness dropped in, you know, it was, suddenly I became fully aware that thinking was happening, that this being here was distressed, you know, I was not aware of this before, I was caught, I was entranced, I didn't even know, I really, I mean, once I woke up, it was clear that I was upset and there, there was something. But while it was happening, I'm not sure. I was actually, I was just trying to get out of a situation and organize reality, you know. And, uh, and when he said that, it, it, uh, it's almost as if I was caught in something very horizontal, like a, a belief of a horizontality, if that exists. And he went like really vertical on me. He went like, schlack, what's happening to you now? <laughs> you know? And I really, it woke me up. And the whole thing completely fell apart in that moment because suddenly the only truth was there is a being, an upset being here. This is what's happening. You know, this is what we need to take. We, we can't take care about the past or the future but there is an upset being here. And actually, it was so strong the way it hit me that is actually even the upset disappeared. Like the upset was not available anymore because there was just sitting here. And the rest was suddenly was revealed to have been a creation of the mind. It was, uh, you know, like, uh, like uh, somebody would come with a little acupuncture needle and would just like blow my balloon, you know, like poof. And it was non-existent. Suddenly there was just sitting here, breathing, and then suddenly I had access to what he, could, he had to say. I was, uh, I was de delivered. I was, uh, like the spell was broken. I was believing in past and future. I was invested. I was entranced by it. I was uh, enamored with it, fascinated with it. And he went just like this. He said, what if there was no thing like this? And suddenly, one. I just basically kind of realized that there was only thinking now. This was what's happening. In mindfulness, in um, mindful awareness, in meditative presence, what we want to do is to be awake, like a Buddha would be, awake to what is happening now. And before I was not awake, I was not aw I didn't know I was in thoughts. I thought like when we go see the movie that actually, you know, Han Solo was really behind, you know, some kind of cardboard, <laughs> you know, spaceship, <laughs> etc. I was, I was caught. And um, that was, it's been very interesting because since I've heard that, since I, it really put the twist on my reality. Like, like it actually makes me kind of smile, makes a, it brings a little playfulness to the notion of... Uh, of past and future, and uh, and I can see a lot of my trouble in life is time-based. There's that I have to conceive, create time to suffer a little bit more, 
because of what's going to happen or what, you know. And if I realize that there is just now, often it's actually pretty simple. You know, there's either somebody who's upset here or not, you know, and there's breathing and there's... It, it really, uh, there's a way that it cuts uh, through uh, very beautifully. And so I think meditation does that. It wakes us up. It's, uh, it's sobering. When we're caught in stories, uh, we can, uh, by paying attention, we might discover that actually our thoughts are not reality. Yeah. Just a f- week after, I think, I was in uh, there, I think I mentioned I was in Massachusetts, uh, teaching with another teacher, Anushka. And Anushka had us do an exercise that I thought was kind of, uh, I thought I was in the same field of uh, questioning uh, thoughts and uh, the reality of them. And so we'll, we'll try it if you want. So what she had us do was um, she just invited us to think about, if you want to do that, you could think about your shoes, your shoes that uh, you came here with, sandals or shoes. And so you might see them. You, there might be different thing happening. You might see them in their location where they might still be now. Or you might... Um, the way it felt for me when I did the exercise was a, a really strong sense of my shoes. Like my, my... Like they really... F- it felt like it was my... Like it was really mine, my shoes. You know, and... Uh, and, uh, and also it seemed like it, it was... Uh, I couldn't see that it was a thought. It was really my shoes. <laughs> Do you see what I mean? I couldn't... I was sitting and I'm, you know, I'm teaching this stuff, you know. I'm practicing this stuff a lot. And I was sitting there, I was like, oh my God, I know where she's getting. Like, I... But they're my shoes. In my mind, they're there. These are my shoes. You know, (laughs) like, don't tell me it's not my shoes. And then, of course, she said, you know, these are not your shoes. They're a thought. And in my mind, I was like, no, they're my shoes. I know they're my shoes. <laughs> they're, they're exactly them, you know. But the sobering aspect of mindfulness, of being awake to what is actually happening, is that we can start to discern. This is wisdom, the capacity to discern between different objects. One is a material thing, and the other one is a thought, you know. And they're not the same, and we can easily take them to be the same. It's a little bit irrelevant, you would think, with shoes, but you know what it implies. You know, the implications are huge. Is, you know, and as a great teacher, you might have heard that said, uh, uh, say, I think it's Munindraji would say, the thoughts of your mother are not your mother. They're thoughts. You know, can you actually discern this? And often we sit here, and the future, we actually think that we have moved in the future and we're trying to organize the future you know but there's we're not there it's a construction of the or we think that we've gone in the past and we're having this conversation again do you see what I mean but it's actually the mindfulness and it's it appears like it needs to be quite strong actually because we can easily be fooled and think that we're having the conversation again or having a conversation that actually never happened and we're still feeling very strongly about that conversation and how hurtful the fictitious person <laughs> was or could have been or was never and will never be, you know. And, uh, and so by sitting here and paying attention, 
that's some of the stuff that we learn to clarify that there is a production of the mind, there is a conceiving, there's a generations of the mind, and that we can actually can you see the the freeing nature of this when somebody's really, really aware in real time, not after, but in real time that this is actually absolutely ephemeral light because that how it turns out to be when we're clear about this that this is transparent light as in not heavy sticky as it seems to be you know because we can go towards the future and we can make it really sticky really heavy can we but it doesn't have any reality whatsoever and you might be hearing this and thinking no There is. <laughs> you don't know what's coming for me, <laughs> you know. And so uh, it's actually I. So that is one of the things that we do as we sit is that we pay attention like this, and slowly over years, actually, that thing. That's how this practice works. It's not a quick fix. Over years, we learn to clarify what is what. You know, this is discernment, knowing that a thought is a thought, knowing that a projection is a projection. Mm -hmm knowing that uh, an anticipation or uh, a preconceived idea is just that. And this is a lot of the freedom of the Buddha is, uh, is of that nature. And earlier in the sitting, I was um, saying, you might be uh, intimate. You might find that there's an intimacy with sounds or intimacy with breath. But you might actually, your investigation or your attention might not have actually turned towards the perceived or preconceived uh, experiencer. You, there might be like just a kind of a very superficial uh, assumption that this is moi. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm sitting here, this is me, this is me, It, absolutely unquestioned. This is me. What do you mean? This is me. It's me. I'm hearing the sounds. And here, we, our attention is that delicate and refined, maybe also, that it actually will turn. At some point, we'll need to. For freedom, it will need to actually start to pay attention, not just to sounds or mind states, or, but to actually that kind of maybe just idea of this I that I have, that I, something that might, I might have defined very clearly or something that might be very vague. It's a kind of me that I never quite questioned. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you, can you recognize something? This, it's me who's there hearing. But here we want to create enough stability in the mind, enough quietness, enough space, if we want to talk in these terms, uh, to actually be able to allow this to be revealed a little bit more. What is this I that I, you know, I'm like this, I'm like that. Of course I can define personality, you know, Pascal is more like this than like that, more often than not, you know. But apart from personality, who am I sitting in the middle of? I don't know if that's the right way to frame the question, but Is it possible to actually experience this I? Is it possible? I'm even asking that, you know? What, what's there? And so, 
you can notice that it'll take a little practice. I think so. I think it'll take a practice of calming the mind. Because if I'm busy and like, oh, I don't do this well, I, don't, uh, I have to do this after, there's this going on. I wonder if I'm going to get there. And when I finish my pra- meditation practice, I'm going to be so much better. And I'm going to tell this person. And a lot of I, a lot of assumptions about I, a lot of creation, conceiving of an I. And so we need to quiet this down a little bit to actually see if we can, in uh, intimacy, experience that being or beingness or what's going to be discovered there it's very interesting I think a lot of the path of the Buddha was around that saying I paid attention not just to sound and states of mind and the arising of thoughts and the disappearing of thoughts but also of what I consider to be central to the whole experience you know like it's almost as if uh, spatially you would do like a uh, I don't know how many degrees that is but uh, 180 <laughs> degrees <laughs> I was going to say 360 <laughs> but that might be what's going to happen <laughs> but like a turning towards you know this consciousness this knowing quality and what is that? Because a lot of my trouble in life is about me, you know, how I am and could be, I'm not, I'm treated or not treated. And What's this thing in the middle there? The Buddha, as you might know, uh, would say things like, I am, I am. This is a conceived idea in the same way that the past, the future, is a conception, is a creation of the mind. I Am. This is a conceived idea. I was. This is a conceived idea. I will be. This is a conceived idea. Conceived idea are a boil, an excroissance, uh, an arrow maybe. Some, something in, I'm paraphrasing here, but that's what it says. Conceived ideas, it's good to be aware of these conceptions. And so, what can go and question that? Thoughts is very limited in questioning this. Uh, meditative awareness is the tool to go and investigate this. So what is meditative awareness? Is a presence that is not demanding, that is not caught in somewhere else, that is in the present, and that is very attentive and not assuming anything but allowing reality to reveal itself, to kind of come into focus because of the quality of the presence or care. Otherwise, I'm kind of superficial and just like, oh yeah, I know, I know, I read about that. You know, this, somebody talks much better about it. <laughs> you know, and there's no actual lending in the experience. Um... I don't know if there are questions or comments or objections uh, or s- something you would like to be defined more, better, or differently. I think in that retreat in uh, Europe, I don't know if it came from a question from uh, the retreatants or what, but I remember at some point there was this question, what? 
what is the liberation that the Buddha talks about? Liberated, freed from what? Liberated from what? And uh, again, I really like Charles said, oh, it's actually pre pretty simple and pretty far out. The Buddha said, uh, yeah, liberation. He, he didn't say exactly liberated, liberated from difficult states of mind. Certainly at many times in the text we read that he said liberated only from birth, old age, disease, and death. That's what this practice is meant to be, to liberate one from uh, birth, old age, disease, and death. That's, how do you say that in English? That's a kind of a tall order. That's, <laughs> like, that's, the bar is high or low, if you're, depending on what is the game you're playing, <laughs> you know? Uh, and... And and Charles to, to that statement, which I loved, that he was like he was so non-compromising, like the Buddha was, you know, when he answered, like, "Oh, you're wondering what freed from what? Well, freed freed from death." And he was saying, so I'm 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 bringing stuff back because I like to do this because I'm touched by the way the teachings are presented and because I find myself in many places where there's wise people presenting interesting ideas and practices, so I, I bring them back. So Charles is saying, so clearly, clearly, it's going to require a little bit of a change of perspective. <laughs> you know? Because if I'm me and it's me, like how could this practice ever free me from disease, old age and death? For sure, I am going to be, you know... At some point, you know, <laughs> there's going to be dis-ease, there is going to be old age, and there go there's going to be death. So if this practice is going to liberate me from old age and death and disease, there's going to have to be a change of understanding or perspective. Or Do you see what I mean? Like, And so what is that going to be? It's going to be an understanding of what is mine and not mine, and what is self and not self, and what is this I and not I, because this body is going to get older and uh, and become sick at some point and die. It will. So, finding freedom from disease, old age, and death doesn't mean it doesn't happen anymore. It means that there's a deep understanding that dawns, I don't know if that's the verb, that's intuitively what came from me, hearing that before. So there's going to be a deep understanding, a deep reorganization of my understanding or beliefs or um, perceptions on reality. And I think that's the extent of this practice. It goes far. It can be presented as uh, MBSR, um, mindfulness-based stress reduction. It can, and it's beautiful that it can reduce stress, you know, uh, help one learn to cope with uh, difficult, help one learn to cope with uh, pleasant, beautiful, help one, which is challenging for human beings often, help one uh, learn to cope with uh, not much happening, which is also very difficult for human beings often. And so it's not just about learning to cope, but b bring such 
clear, stable attention that actually our preconceived ideas about reality, those that have been conditioned by society, culture, that are reinforced at every, with every other ad, and etc., you know, is actually questioned to the core. So, yeah. Um, the way you just said what the Buddha meant by liberation is just blowing my mind. Because it sounds to me like it's saying awareness, witness, state. And I, <laughs> I don't know what to make of that. I don't know if it says that. I certainly didn't say that, but you, one might understand this. But certainly it's opening up to something else, you know. Yeah. It's opening up to something else. Yeah. To me it points a lot, and I talk about this all the time, That's to me that's central and that's juicy. For, like I'm curious about that, and I feel like a lot of my trouble that I feel is related to that is to is related to ownership to appropriation wrongful appropriation of not land in this case or it could be but of uh, experience like a fusion identification with something that is actually nature that has its own comings and goings its own rules its own uh, and how I have this little, slight little mistake that it's happening to a certain moi. And that creates all the trouble that I go through <laughs> because it's taken personal, like it's uh, clung to, to use a Buddhist term. You know, it's as mine, I, mine. And in this practice, why I love doing this practice to me is, is that it's a very, very progressive clarifying of this and letting go of that wrong view. Very progressive because I sit here and I just pay attention and I notice that there's tingling in the hands. And at some point it's just naturally become very clear that the tingling is life. You know, it's not my tingling. It, there is tingling. It's known. So I'm letting go of that little part of identification. Oh, there's life in the hands. At some point, oh, there's a breath. could think it's mine, but with years of practice, at some point, it's just this body, this animal is breathing. Maybe then I'm inside, you know. But then by paying attention, I'll notice that thoughts land there. They're not exactly mine. They land there, some of the ideas, creative ones, uh, fearful ones, you know. And they're not exactly... Sometimes it feels like I'm thinking then, but often it actually doesn't feel like that. It feels like the same way there's a sound of a bus that is, doesn't describe me. It's heard that there's a thought. And sometimes I feel like I'm sitting there and suddenly, whoops, an emotion comes. It's not exactly me. It's there in the field. It needs to be taken care of. But it doesn't describe me. And in the same way, sometimes when I get quiet, it feels like hearing happens. And there's no point in owning or appropriating any of that, that hearing is actually absolutely na natural in nature, that hearing happens. And so in this way, very slowly, it seems like I'm deconstructing this idea of me and what's happening, what's going to happen to me. It's like, oh, 
Actually, there's a series of moments that tend to disappear. The moment I was in my car earlier parking is gone. If I'm attentive, I'll notice that this is absent. Wow. So Pascal is already... That Pascal, at least, doesn't exist anymore. And this one is probably pretty ephemeral. And then there'll be another one upset by something later or, you know, feeling something or having a sense that they're great or useless or <laughs> anything in between. You know? And so, so, very slowly, my understanding is this practice is kind of cutting in the material, in the belief of a permanent self that is like core and needs to be acknowledged and needs to be defended and needs to be protected of whatever's going to happen after death, you know. Needs to be protected from annihilation or eternity, you know, because both are a problem, you know. If you really believe there's a me, you know, if it's the end of it in a few years, it's scary. And if it continues, it's scary. <laughs> you know, and the Buddha says, you know, with this practice you can actually be liberated from these thoughts, these liberated from being caught in thoughts of death and you can allow life to do what it does, you know, and not uh, grasp at it so much, allow it to be very, very freeing and very progressive. I like that path for that, you know. Because you can turn to Eckhart Tolle, the guy got lucky, you know, he was on the right bench at the right time, and his mind got totally freed. I, I mean, I've not been following him, I'm just not sure he has such a pedagogy. <laughs> you know, a few people that I see that are free, they, it's hard for them to explain it, you know. And I like that the Buddha had the whole set of practices and uh, ways to actually... Uh, in, invite on the path people accompany them on the path to deconstructing false uh, views so that's the that's the that's the way I understand this practice actually not to be critical of anybody else there's so many techniques and stuff it's just some I appreciate and uh, that there's a pedagogy and a methodology it seems in this uh, in this philosophy in philosophy um Yes. In the story you tell of the retreat where Charles kind of cut into your story where you had an emotional, strong reaction to what had happened and what might happen and all those thoughts, you so, as I understand it, you're brought back to the present moment and you're here and now and feel much more present and... What happens to that story later? The intensity yeah. of those feelings, or what is the evolution of what got you all worked up in the first? What do you do with that? Yeah, yeah. So, so what appeared clearly to me in that moment is that actually, if I could take care of this moment, I would probably find a way to take care of the next moments. You know, of. Uh, and the thing was also very related to self, how, how I was perceived or how I responded or how, you know, what pe person meant about me or something like this. So, so 
that whole construction of like wanting to have a certain me be perceived. You know, it's like I want you to see that I'm right and you're wrong and that I'm good and you're bad. You know. And, and so um, what happened is there was a lot of, actually, it gave access to a lot of compassion, a lot of care, uh, and uh, the, the struggle just diminished. And after, and I was, the, the story continued after. But after, what I could see was that actually I was really interested in the unfolding of the story instead of being resentful that it had happened or that we had, you know, and I was actually, there was a lot of, yeah, care, care for the other, care for me, uh, uh, grat gratitude, also recognition that that was not the only thing, you know, that the relationship was much larger than this exchange, you know, and my appreciation for the other person was, I could gain access to this again. Do you see what I mean? So a compassionate kind of view of how the other person had acted yeah. and how you had perceived or heard whatever yeah. they said. To me, it opened the field to all the beautiful qualities that are helpful in relationships, on the path, in one's psyche, in one's community, you know, so compassion, understanding, more clarity, giving a chance, expressing oneself clearly, not wanting revenge, you know, like this was abandoned. I didn't want revenge or I just wanted clarity about what was happening and good intentions and, and you know, and it, it felt, and it was also like some kind of, uh, it was easy to have to have integrity, to care for Pascal, to care for the other, to not abuse, not, uh, you know. That's that's how I remember it anyway. Now, like it become an it became a non-issue. It it became of course we're gonna so find a way out of this. You know, of course I can speak my mind. Of course, you know, of course I I I want you know I, I can be heard or I can certainly say what I have to say. You know. Thank you. Yeah. Okay. Shall we sit uh, together for um, maybe f 15 minutes or so? And just uh, and if you uh, if you have backache or chronic pain of some sort, and it would be better for you to be uh, laying on the ground for uh, there's plenty of space here, so you could you could do that. I don't want you to hurt yourself damage yourself in any way one of the challenges with being on the floor is that we could fall asleep and because we're practicing being awake that's, that's, it's good to have a clear intention around that yeah so we're practicing um, being present and it doesn't have to be done perfectly huh it will not, anyway. There will be comings and goings of attention. And, uh, the mind will drift and get caught here and there. And be careful in the way you evaluate your practice. Like, oh. The, uh, the fact that you're here and have the intention to bring more consciousness is, uh, is huge. Buddha said it's better to live a couple of seconds in consciousness than to live a hundred years unconscious. So even if you add just a few seconds of uh, consciousness in the next few minutes, that's already worth a few lifetimes. Just notice what can be uh, noticed. Don't analyze, don't 
try to make sense of just in this practice of meditation we just see if we can experience, feel fully something of the present moment. You might see at some point how we live in a kind of a egotic worldview. Things turn around me and my opinions and my preferences and what could happen to me and what I will do or will be. And see if it's possible to actually, even for just a moment at a time, sometimes let go of that worldview. Explore what could, uh, how it could feel like to be in a post or trans-egotic worldview where there's just nature happening. Sounds being heard and sensations being experienced. field of consciousness and mind that is tender or joyful or quiet or agitated not defining anyone but just a kind of inner mm, weather pattern meteorology how would that feel like As one teacher put it, they said, it's not you who's going to be freed, but 
everything else. Breath, free to breathe. Emotions, free to emote. Consciousness, free to know, to experience. This is more the field of uh, kindness, of joy, of compassion, of care. How they arise spontaneously. If you feel like it's very important to hold on to yourself in some way, please do that. Do it with care, with kindness, with love. If the mind goes back to stories of me later and me this and me that, again, be very kind. Just notice, oh yeah, there is truly that fascination, that busyness around moi. Don't be harsh with that. Don't be judgmental. Just notice. Oh, that's what it does in there.
in words or in the f- in the f- felt sense, in the feeling it. See what you can, uh, what you want to bring in your life from the meditative space that you want to incorporate, integrate, invite. Is it uh, friendliness, a benevolence, or deeper attention, or curiosity, or? Renunciation to the selfing habit. May this practice uh, help us feel more full and uh, free. And may also May it be uh, also useful for others around us so that we create less trouble around us. We offer the more safety being conscious being rather than unconscious being. Thank you, thank you so much for uh, for your um, uh, considerate attention. That's how it felt. Um, and we have some uh, postcards that we found. Both Pascal brought some in for the retreats for uh, True North Insight Meditation this year's uh, schedule, I think. And I also have some postcards with. Uh, Pascal's schedule here, if you want. There's seven sessions of spot. And remind you that we do this by donor, by donation. Uh, We ask for a donation for our great teacher, uh, Pascal, and we don't charge rent for this, so a small donation to the studio would be appreciated. I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.